Welcome to The Mentor List. To turn you into the best version of you that's around. To seek support and you need to allow yourself to be supported. Really have a point of difference. What is precious, what's really important and then putting some boundaries there. The Mentor List specialises in interviews with top business minds. Gather their advice for your career. This is The Mentor List. Welcome to The Mentor List. I'm Sharon Daly, Managing Director for Mentor List Talent, and I am co-hosting today's episode with a very good friend and the Director of Mentor List Digital and Advisory, Peter Joukowsky. We are pumped about this episode today. We're going in deep on a topic I am extremely passionate and giddy about, the women in leadership with a focus around the tech industry. On the show today, we have Helen Sunas, who is CEO of RMIT Online. Helen is a senior executive with a career that spans more than 30 years of commercial experience working in the digital strategy, marketing and product across market leading companies, including Lonely Planet and groundbreaking marketplaces, Seek, Envato and Etsy. Helen, are you all settled in with a coffee and cup of tea there, ready to go? Absolutely, thanks. (laughs) Helen, I think in your intro, we haven't even touched the sides of your career. So let's dive in a bit deeper. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your career path? Sure. 30 years, it makes it ages me, doesn't it? Not from what I can see, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I educated as a lawyer actually did a couple of years in a big law firm in New Zealand but ever since then I have moved through a number of commercial roles I sometimes called myself through my 20s and early 30s the lateral mover because all I wanted to do was learn so I moved from my first job out of law was kind of contract and bid negotiation and a telco I moved into strategy consulting which was like almost doing an MBA on the job because it was all financial modelling and so on in London. And then a number of roles from strategy to product to marketing in London and then back here, the names you've mentioned in my time in Australia the last 15 years, starting in Lonely Planet. So moved from many years at Seek as the marketing director, was one of my big roles here for seven years, which was a fantastic education in marketplaces and and really best practice digital. And then I've had P&L kind of ownership roles for about the last 10 years. So moved from a function to, a, I guess, a GM at Envato, MD for Asia at Etsy, and then now the CEO role, which has been a fantastic run the last four years, essentially building a team. We're up to 140 people and we work with 500 plus teachers and contractors. We've we've sort of decided to keep our team small but work with a, a lot of different people to build online courses for adult learners to help them really update their skills as they go through their careers and gain university qualifications, but sometimes just a six-week course that we build with industry and just our little update of your skills in, say, a new technology or other area that you want to update yourself, agile delivery, product management, et cetera. So we've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun through the career. (laughs) That's fascinating, Helen. Fascinating. And how about, Helen, in terms of your insights from lateral movements, what advice could you give to listeners in terms of how to make the right lateral move? Yeah, I think every single one 
leveraged where I came from. I didn't completely abandon, <laughs> but I moved and grew in some way and it wasn't always up. I sometimes do career advice for the grads and, and some of the people at the university and I draw my career as a squiggly line. It's not this mm. kind of, you know, nice chart like a revenue line <laughs> yeah. uh, in a business case. It's actually very squiggly, but each time I was leveraging something I had been doing, say I was in telco so I could move from strategy in telco into product, but I was going to gain a new skill. I was going to learn how to launch great products, work with tech teams, etc. So each move was a leverage, but also I could see what I would, you know, two more years in that role, however long, I would end with really a new skill set. And I felt like I was kind of building my briefcase of tools, if you like, <laughs> to be able to then address new problems in new ways after each new kind of experience. Brilliant. What a journey, Helen. Speaking of that journey, what is one thing you wish you knew when you began your career and what advice would you give your former self? It's a great question. I think what I would say, and it's easy to say after after a few decades working and it's really hard to do in your 20s, say, but remember that it is a long game. What I mean by that is I think you can be reactive to situations that aren't quite right for you. And I think you can cut off your nose despite your face. And yeah, I've done yeah. it plenty, so it takes one to no one. Same. <laughs> you know, say a boss isn't valuing you, for example, and that's going to happen. There's lots of not such great bosses out there. That's not necessarily a reason to just move, you know. You can still gain a lot from that role and it can leverage you well into the next thing. Sure, you have to accept that that boss is not appreciating you, not giving you the raise you think you deserve, whatever it is. But don't let those frustrations eat you too much because it's a long game. The next place will be perhaps the great move and this place could help you get there. So just plan it in five, ten-year blocks, not six-month goals. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, That's great advice, Helen. I think that the long game is something that, you know, definitely the millennial generation, you know, can can take a learning from it in the importance of, again, putting things into perspective and, again, investing in yourself in the long term. How about in terms of, like, I'm interested in how you've managed to stay ahead of the curve. A lot of your roles have been in, in tech companies, in the online digital space, given, you know, how fast-paced and ever-changing this industry is. How have yeah. you managed to stay ahead of the curve? I'd love to say I've done all our courses, but I yeah. have done some of them. And that is really useful. Formal training yeah, yeah, for is sure. really awesome. But actually, I think probably the key for me has been to ask dumb questions <laughs> and not be afraid to show you don't know and ask and sit down with the guru that you work with or that is from another company. I remember when I was looking at doing a project to test agile delivery for Seek was mm. like an extension project when I was in marketing there. And I went and talked to Nigel Dalton, who at the time was at REA, now ThoughtWorks. He was one of the gurus in Melbourne on Agile and just sat down with him and he's very generous, sat down with him for two or three hours to just really pick his brains on the on the approach and then did the same with car sales and all the key players in the city. Mm. So just asking from fundamental questions, why do you do it? What have you gained? What don't you like? What are the risks? You know, just really open questions and be prepared to to learn and, and show you don't know with your colleagues and with, you know, your network. I think that is fundamental because there's always 
as far as I'm concerned, there's always cleverer people. There's always <laughs> insights to gain if only you ask the open question and listen. So honestly, I think that has been the main way I've I've stayed up to date. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And Helen, in that journey as well that you spoke and you're the long game, mm. what would you say in that long game are the the habits that served you well in your career? Maybe people don't want to hear it, but I mean, I've always had a lot of energy and worked hard. And honestly, I don't think there's shortcuts. I think to really keep learning and pushing yourself and progressing, you're going to need to give a lot of passion and energy to your work. Yeah. And that's maybe not the advice everyone wants. They want to know the No, I agree. Work. If you get too complacent, you lose sight of your passion. Yeah. So I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think that's always been my habit is to, you know, think about it a lot, you know, work hard at it. But then I guess be curious, especially about people. I think leadership in particular is the topic. It's all about people and, and trying to understand where people come from, trying to understand what their goals are and try and find that place where their goals meet the business goals. <laughs> a lot of magic happens in that place. We get people into a, a position where they're really personally motivated as well as really leveraging their skills for the business goals. So I think a lot of curiosity about people and, and what they really want and need has been pretty key to me, really, I guess, having my people high performing. In, and that is why, you know, if I have any success, that's why I've had it, because my people have been thriving and, and doing an amazing job, job after job. And so I think I think that habit of really being interested in people, caring about them and finding the right spot for them to, to be high performing is my best habit, maybe. <laughs> if I that's brilliant, Helen. And, and like that's a really interesting discussion point because in the context of COVID and remote working and, and the size of your workforce at RMIT Online, could you share with us some insights around how you drive engagement? How do you galvanise, you know, people in that context? Because it can be really difficult, you know, being entirely remote given, you know, the past 12 plus months of experience. Could you share with us a bit in terms of that? It's been probably the hardest 18 months of my experience in leadership. It's... Yep. You know, I sometimes talk about the pandemic or the epidemic that follows the pandemic. I think mental health has undoubtedly been impacted for mm. a lot of people, be they parents helping kids at home and just the stretch of trying to be a good parent and do your work remotely. Plus for the younger ones, you know, not working in an ideal situation in a flat at the kitchen table, etc., yep. and really struggling without the social connection. So keeping people engaged when they're really struggling with quite core needs of kind of comfort and mm. work stress and life stress has been just the most challenging of my career. So the first thing is I'd say I don't think I've got all the answers. I think it's a really tough challenge for all leaders at the moment. And yep. hybrid work hasn't in some ways helped it. Like we're in and out of the office and it's not none of the old techniques work my my old walk the floors every day talk to mm. people see mm. the sad faces none of my old techniques work so what have i done some of the things i think have worked well is just really up in a lot of broadcasting just to keep people up to date because i know we're not getting the casual contact so a lot of videos a lot of all hands more than usual to try and make up for the the missed chance meetings i've done random ways to connect with people and hear how they're going like i do a 
CEO roulette where I just get five or six people from different teams and we speak for an hour. What's worrying you? What what are you excited about? And just spend time together so that it's both chance meeting for them across Mm -hmm. teams because Mm -hmm. what I have found is individual teams are actually, if anything, more productive. Like you you talk about a sales team. They're really on fire. They're using their commute time, one, to exercise, two, to do more calls. So Mm -hmm. you get productivity gains too, I think. But the cross-team collaboration is so much harder because they're not even meeting each other. Or So it's been all these ways of trying to get that cross-team. I've had leadership teams speak and have open floor, ask me anything. I Just a million different ways of trying to up communication and chance communication as much as possible as well as formal so yep. that we can try and uncover issues and help people and remove blocks whereas normally they would grab me in the office frame. So yeah, for sure. Challenging. And Helen, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are inspired by you <laughs> and look up to you and what you do. What I want to ask you is who inspired you to be a leader and why? Yeah, it's so hard to pick one, Sharon. <laughs> um, because I'm a bit of a sponge, I guess I've, I've just learned from so many amazing people. I have to say, though, I don't think any anyone encouraged me I wanted to be out in front from really young so I was pretty precocious I I mean at kindy I was up on the table asking everyone to sit down while I lip synced which is appalling because I'm a terrible singer so I there's something innate that I felt like I wanted to be out in the world and learn lots and and very quickly that became lead people because it's how you make a bigger impact you know, just doing something individually yourself, like I could never have stayed in law. That's quite constraining if it's just, you know, the idea of just being impacted by how many hours you do <laughs> billings. But that doesn't attract me. I want to have a bigger impact than just myself. So, yeah, I think no one person but lots of amazing leaders. I mean, my vice chancellor now at the university has been an incredible mentor and leader for me, just had an amazing vision of what we were going to do, a real disruptor in the industry, and just absolutely at my back every moment, you know, always supportive, which has just been, you know, it's such a privilege to work for someone like that. So I would always seek to be someone like that for my team. And I think even the bad managers, again, in that long game, some of my worst managers have taught me the most about you know, what not to do. Yeah. Um, You know, the ones that just can't delegate and how frustrating that is that you can't show any initiative or the ones that sort of, you know, compete or whatever it is. Those have taught me so much about who I want to be as a leader. So everything's a learning experience, right? (laughs) I'm not sure there's one mentor. Yeah. Today's podcast is brought to you by Mentor List, a collaboration of business services and professional growth. We connect the very best minds and insights in Australia to accelerate personal and organisational growth by leveraging and learning through lived experiences. If you love what you hear and want your own direct access to great minds, visit us online to learn more about our mastermind groups, business advisory, digital solutions and our talent division. We are mentorlist.com
And building on that, that Helen, what's your perspective in terms of, you know, as a champion in diversity, how are we tracking on that front, you know, broadly speaking, you know, in the Australian market right now? What's your perspective around, you know, being a champion in diversity and how we're tracking? You mean all types of diversity? Yeah, like diversity of thought, diversity of gender, like really, you know, broad brush stroke. But again, Mm. just sort of keen to understand, again, how you've been a and I guess understanding the great work that's done, but more importantly, all the work that's still to be done. Yeah, I mean, to sort of challenge Australia a little bit, I must admit, when I came here, being in, you know, Kiwi working in New Zealand and then in London for eight years, I was shocked at how little people valued diversity as a sort of implicit good. I think it's really improved in the last 15 years, but mm. in London, for example, we we were looking 20 years ago to have our management team reflect the people we served 20 years ago. And when I first came here, there wasn't even particularly awareness that, hold on, everyone in this room was born and raised in Melbourne Mm. and we're making all the decisions for this company. That's dangerous because we are, I mean, and it was, you know, whole teams, apologies, Peter, but white males Mm. that were born and raised and never left Melbourne. That's very lacking in diversity if you're, for example, making investments in Asia and no one's ever worked in Asia in the room. And that terrified me because coming from London, that's a flaw in this management team, right? And no one was even worried about it, you know, and you sort of, you know, you're the only woman in the room raising it, actually talking about cultural diversity as a real risk. And they sort of think it's, you know, you get a bit dismissed as a, you know, she's on about diversity because she's the only girl. It's like, no, guys, there's something very implicitly, there's so much research and there's, that research has been around for decades that more diverse leadership teams are more powerfully and, and more impactful and have yeah. better performing companies. And it just seemed like Australia had a bit of a tone deafness on that, to be absolutely honest. I was shocked when I came here. It was probably the biggest cultural difference working here. And I love Aussies. I love the sense of humour. I love lots of things about living here. It's my absolutely my country. But that was a shock. And I think a real fault for Australia in its place in the world it almost compared to New Zealand, I think the risk for Australia is it's big enough to think it's enough. Whereas New Zealand, you know, you need to go and get lots of things from overseas and lots of diverse thinking because you know you're too small. Whereas mm. Australia's in this dangerous yeah. place where it's almost got critical mass, but actually hasn't. Like you look at mm. so many industries here, a virtual monopoly duopolies, be it supermarkets or telcos or so many other things, there's just not the same level of competition that other countries have because it hasn't quite got the population to sustain it and therefore it could be moving to lowest common denominator instead of best in the world. And I think that's a real risk and I think diversity, be it immigration, refugees, et cetera, diversity really helps that competitiveness over time and Australia's kind of a little bit missing something there. Very, very dangerous in my view. It's a bit of a protagonist view, sorry. (laughs) I completely agree, Helen. I think there is a long way to go yet. I think it's baby stepping its way there, but I don't think it's anywhere close to where we need to be. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a very interesting time, you know. And look, we can't have immigration at the moment and, you know, for good reasons, but it yeah. it's even more of a risk right now, right? Yeah, that so, sort yeah, of fortress Australia compounds that yes. you know, challenge yeah. that you've, you've painted there. That, that's really interesting insight. And perhaps, you know, like again, to shift gears, Helen, we've talked a bit in terms of who's inspired you. How about your thoughts on the importance of having a mentor or, or having, you know, people in your network that you can, confide in you know and and again share your challenges can you share with us whether that's something that's sort of been beneficial in your career journey please yeah absolutely I think again there's loads of research around also just having a friend at work (laughs) and if that's your mentor then that's super lucky right that's Mm. someone that you're also learning a lot from but even just having someone you can vent safely with and process you know tough meetings whatever it is tough challenges with at work is I think you know, just infinitely important. It really is for being able to, you know, bounce back from challenges and process them and move on and and be effective. If a mentor's doing that, lucky you, you know, that's amazing. I have that in this job. I've hardly ever had that, to be honest. I've usually had a mix of people who are my trusted my crew, if you like, in the job, and then a boss, you know, and then yeah. separate or people I'm learning from professionally. But I think whatever you do, the need to reach out to to leverage that network to find trusted people, that is fundamental to being effective at work. If that person is, you know, formally a mentor or informally a mentor, you know, get everything you can. You're very lucky because that is gold if you're also, you know, looking up to them professionally. But I've also got a lot from looking professionally and learning, I don't know, say it's about agile delivery there and leadership there and also having people I can talk to and vent with somewhere else. That's okay too, as long as between all the influences and the people you can talk to and learn from, you're getting a good mix is, I think, the key thing. So, yeah, lucky if it's one mentor, but not necessary. And going back to leadership and just in talking about what we've talked about, and in particular the impact leaders within organisations can have to make the changes now, even, you know, more progressive, what would you say are the three best attributes a leader should possess? To make this happen? I think the first one is you you have to be trusted. So I guess being trustworthy. I think without trust, you know, relationship can't form. And I think there's just always in fast moving, challenging environments. And I've always moved and worked for the last, well, 15 years in fast growth environments. That means there's never enough time to talk, to check. You have to believe in the best, you know, in assume positive intent (laughs) and you can't do that you just don't get that from your people unless you're trusted so I think that's really like that's almost like ticket to ride you have to you know deliver on your promises be trusted and at least be trusted enough that if you've made a wrong step with someone they'll talk to you about it you know it doesn't just go underground because as soon as it's underground it's it's sort of you know a big risk to culture so trust I mean, I think empathetic and I think, you know, the wonderful Prime Minister of New Zealand is showing how important that can be to connecting with people. So kind of understanding that everyone is a person, they're a parent, they're a child, they're a whole person at work and I think some empathy is needed for that and I think that is a very powerful thing 
actually not something that means you're soft on them. Actually, it means you can push them harder if you know who they are and where they've got their stretch points or amazing capability. So some empathy on, on where they're coming from. You know, that old thing, everyone has a story. And, I mean, I think when we say leader as against a great manager, Vision is always part of it. So I think visionary. Seeing in some form, what size can this company be? What valuation could we reach? What impact could we have in in my world at the moment on actually the economy with better skills? Whatever it is, you need a vision. You need to be able to motivate people toward a future state. So some vision would be my third one. Awesome insights. Thank you, Helen. And like touching on obviously RMIT online and that really salient point that you've made around the skills gap in Australia in a digital context and, and how we sort of build the digital workforce of the future. Obviously, there's a, a lifelong learning sort of aspect or you're always continuously learning. Could you sort of share with us a bit of the, the thinking behind that and, and I guess the great work that you're doing in that space to help you know bridge that current divide or the gap? Please. Sure. Obviously, universities had put traditional degrees online and I came in and looked at them and went, my God, they're not using a lot of the digital skills. You know, Mm. things like user experience testing wasn't being done on online degrees. And you're like, wow. And we weren't doing that much analytics around all the engagement points for the student, which, of course, if you come from digital, that's your DNA. You you look at the analytics to see what your users are doing. And that just was a new skill for education. So, First, we wanted to sort of upgrade the traditional degree products, as I call them, slightly contentiously for some academics. Mm. Um, (laughs) We wanted to upgrade those products and get them consistently great quality, and analytics has been the key to doing that. Analytics Mm. of the teachers, analytics of the student interaction, et cetera. But then the other thing we realised is it's not always people when they're constantly needing to upgrade their skills, it's not always a whole master's program that they need. Sometimes they just need a short, sharp new skill or some confidence in a skill they're already doing. Say they're kind of landed into a product manager role, which is amazingly common. They often come from other roles, but they're just not confident in the language of the new role and some of the approaches like business casing and things if it's the first time they've done it. So just giving them some confidence, we've started these short, sharp, six-week-long courses, learning from industry, people working in industry, so mentored by industry people and built with industry, so built with people who are, you know, the best product managers around, be it REA group or, you know, all sorts. So that has been, I guess, really looking at the market need and, and where people are, where are the skill gaps, where are people struggling, where are organizations struggling to find skilled people too so we're working more and more with government and with big business to help them you know be at a bank increasing the risk awareness of their teams after the banking inquiry or other really vital skill areas in different industries and how do we upskill these people quickly and then give them a path into a a postgraduate qualification we're now increasingly stacking those short courses into a postgrad qual but not necessarily getting people to enrol in that from the start, just giving them what they need as they need it. That lifelong journey, you know, it used to be you got your degree and you were done by 22. It's like, no, none of us are done. (laughs) We need to keep going throughout our lives. And basically our job has been to keep developing our product portfolio to, to meet those needs in the areas that are burning hot. So 
that's what we've been up to. Does that does that answer your question? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's awesome. I think um, you know tactical learning to to help people and give them that confidence in the roles they're in is fantastic. And again, helping build that digital workforce in the future for the Australian economy is super important as well to ensure we remain competitive and, and relevant and. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate for what RMIT are doing in that space. I think it's brilliant, especially the, the, the industry lens that's applied to the course offerings and the facilitators and that connection with the industry is really important too to make it um, actionable and, and practical, I think, is great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. That's all we're working to do. <laughs> Glad you think we're succeeding. <laughs> and, Helen, I have a quote that I live by. Yeah, because we all know we're not in control of every situation in our lives and we get thrown curveballs everywhere. So I live by this quote to ensure because you have two choices, right? How you react to things. You can stress out, blah, blah, blah. Or you can live by this quote. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. So I want to ask you, do you have a quote that you live by for our listeners today? I love that one. I've never heard it. Thank you. Look, a lot actually. Back to maybe my point about the long game. One I really love from Bill Gates, who I think was originally used in relationship technology, but I actually think it's also true of our lives. And he said, most people overestimate what they can achieve in a year and they wildly underestimate what they can achieve in 10. And that, I think, is really, really true in my life. I've definitely had bumps along the way, but I've had a few goals, including personal goals. Like my husband and I for 20 years planned the house we wanted to design. And, you know, we built it a couple of years ago, but, like, it was a 20-year plan. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Um, Reality is. (laughs) And I think there's very little we can't achieve if we focus on it for long enough. So, yeah, I think it's really true. And I think you can get very frustrated about your goals for this year and your New Year's resolution and stuff. But if you have, you know, the big goal for longer, there's nothing that, you know, will stop you achieving it if you stay focused. So I I love that one. Absolutely. Helen Sunis, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You've given us great insights into the world of women in leadership. And we look forward to following your journey further. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Helen. Thanks for joining us on the show. Until next time, listeners, this is The Mentor List. Thank you for joining us today at The Mentor List. If you'd like to hear more or speak to us about recommending our next interview guest, come on through to mentorlist.com.au. You can also find out more about our suite of mastermind series taking shape in your area, your industry, and your discipline. We look forward to welcoming you to one of our events very soon. Stay tuned for another great show. Thank you for listening to The Mentor List. If you like what you're hearing on The Mentor List, the best way to support the show is to just take a few seconds to leave a rating and or comment over on iTunes. You can also find further information about this show and links to further episodes at mentorlist.com.au. Until next time, this is The Mentor List.